you want to talk missions, that's the name of our podcast, and that's what we do here at Cup of Cold Water Ministries. This is episode two, Discipleship. Don't just say it, do it. Hey, I'm Dan Henenfent, Executive Director of Cup of Cold Water Ministries. We have a very interesting guest today. But first, let me introduce you to my co-host, Sherry Taverdick, Director of Communications and Special Events for Cup of Cold Water Ministries. Hey, Sherry. Hi. You know, the purpose of Cup of Cold Water is helping people go where God's called them to serve. Just give us a 15, 20 second cap on what that's about. One of my purposes is that we help keep them on the field. So that's telling their story for um, donors to hear and partners to get involved with them and um, and also just supporting them emotionally, sometimes physically, we get to go visit them and uh, just being their team. I look at us, CCWM is the home-based team right now for 32 missionaries globally. Now you just came from a local Christian school where you had an amazing uh, experience. Yes. Just give us a, a heads well, up on that. I'm pumped up because I just spent time talking to 174 high schoolers and they really give you the energy. If you're feeling old, go spend some time with high schoolers. They'll just fill you right up. But we had an, ex- an experience today where I just was able, you know, I had a whole plan of what I was going to share with them. When I got there to speak, the Lord just gave me, you know, kind of said, we're going to do, we're going to do something a little different today, Sherry. And um, the message that he gave me for the, the students was extremely serious. Um, and I had a, fun, you know me, Dan, I like to be fun. I had a fun plan, but God had something serious to speak to them about, and um, the the students were motivated. They were inspired and challenged. We spent a long time afterwards in prayer because God really spoke to these students about um, using them and about missions. It's very exciting. Today's guest is Executive Director of Cadre Missionaries. He's the author of several books, including Discipleship Making Genius of Jesus, and the Disciple Maker's Guide to Grow, Minister, and to Lead. He loves his wife of more than 32 years. He loves his seven children. He loves Apple computers, so mm-hmm. he and I are on the same track good right guy. there. He loves the Chicago Cubs, so that's a double good. I don't know, Dan. And he loves chocolate. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> okay, and he loves the next generation of believers. He helps churches and ministries to engage and embrace in disciple-making he aspires to live and follow Jesus, and he practices what he preaches. Hey, please welcome Bill Allison of Cadre Missionaries. Hey, Bill. Hey, it's great to be with you, Dan and Sherry. Thank you so much. It's our pleasure. And and you're director of uh, Cadre Missionaries. I know what a missionary is, Bill, but what is a cadre? A cadre is a small group of people who are equipped to equip others so they can equip others ad infinitum so it never stops. Oh, so we're like a cadre. Yes. You and I are a cadre? <laughs> yeah, we're a cadre. Well, that's pretty Does it cool. count two? Is two okay? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. I'm always uh, weary to count, and I'll tell you why. None of these people are my disciples. They're Jesus's disciples. And I think you can count about one or two, three generations. And and if if God's in it, they actually make disciples so much, you don't, you can't even keep, only God can keep track of disciple making. We We haven't made disciples until those we disciple make more disciples. Great. Hey, we'll talk more about that. But uh, first, I just want to plug something going on Saturday, October 24th. Cup of Cold Water Ministries is hosting a workshop from uh, 10 until 2 in the afternoon, and you'll be leading that workshop, Bill. We call it Rise and and Make Disciples. 
Um, what can people who attend that workshop hope to learn or to take away? What what they will learn, the, the essence of what we'll be talking about and exploring together around tables is as simply as this. What does first century Jesus-like disciple-making look like in the real world of the 21st century world that we live in? So it's a simple, uh, it's a simple life tune-up is what we're doing. It's not a series of booklets that you're going to get that you, you know, run through the booklets. It's not a, it's not all stuff for the head. It's a simple way of life that Jesus lived and, uh, how to live that when you go back home in your home, to your neighborhood, to where you work, to where you play, to where you church. Uh, Bill, I, I loved it. I was at, uh, one of your conferences, and I left changed. It really challenged me. I encourage people to go. If you want to join us, please visit ccwm.org and click on our events tab, and you'll find the Rise and Make Disciples link, and you can sign up there. I know from knowing you from before, your mother used to attend Bar in Streeter, Illinois, also known as Hard Scrabble. Illinois, but Streeter. At one point, she was tending bar, and you were a kid hidden down the wrong road. Uh, what happened? How did God turn your life back around? Yeah, thanks for asking this question. Um, my mother's friend, Jerry, uh, was kind of a single mom, just like my mom was, and they were uh, working at the bar and living the wildlife. And uh, but they became fast friends because they were in the same situation, trying to eke out a living, with, you know, as a as a single mom. And uh, Jerry had earned a vacation but didn't have any place to go. So she called her sister who lived out of state. And uh, the sister said, yeah, I'd love to have you and your kids join us for a couple of weeks. And you wouldn't have to pay for anything. So just come come and live with us. Take a break and, and come and enjoy a two-week vacation. And, uh, of course, you know why. Because her sister had just accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And she wanted to share the gospel with Jerry. And so when Jerry got there... Uh, she was like, oh, no, my, Je- uh, my my sister can only talk about Jesus. That's all she can talk about. And uh, I think she had her guard up for four or five days. And then somewhere in the middle of that vacation, she received Christ as her Savior. And then her sister began to get her into the Gospel of John. And by the time she came back to that tavern, she walked in and she said, uh, she announced to everybody, including my mom and the boss and the patrons that were there, I quit. And they said, well, what'd you do? Find a, find a place to where you're going to work? And she goes, no, I don't know where I'm going to work, and I don't know how I'm going to make a living, but I know I'm not working here anymore. And they said, why? <laughs> she said, because I found what I was looking for. I tried to find it in alcohol. I tried to find it in men. But I, try, I finally found it. And they said, what were you looking for? She said, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they said, you're drunk. And she said, I'm not drunk, and I quit. And they said, no, you can't quit, and, and you have to give us two weeks' notice. And so she began, she said, fine, I'll give you my two weeks' notice right now, but I'm going to tell everybody why I'm quitting. It's Jesus. And I like to say for the next two weeks that that tavern became a ministry center run by the Reverend Jerry. She was telling everybody about Jesus. And my mom, that was my mom's best friend. And when my mom saw how changed she was by Jesus, my mom wanted nothing to do with her. You know, the scripture says, uh, men and women love darkness rather than the light. And, uh, And that's what was happening. My mom was being convicted by her righteous life and uh, Jerry's righteous life. And so my mom couldn't wait until her two weeks were up and then she was gone and there was no more light in that place. But Jerry began to come over to our house and uh, my mom would close the door and pull the shades and she wanted nothing to do with Jerry. And Jerry would knock on the door. She had her little black Bible. We didn't know it was a Bible, but uh, she had a little black book and she was knocking on the door and we'd be real quiet and she'd leave. About every two or three days, she'd pull in a parking lot. We'd close the doors and she'd knock on the door and 
uh, nothing. One day she got to the house before uh, we could close the door and my mom under clenched teeth was so angry. She said, let's just let her in and hear what she has to say and she'll quit bugging us. Well, that day they all sat down at the table and, and in the projects where I grew up and and uh, my my mom smoked and Jerry smoked and they drank coffee and and uh, I like to say the smoking evangelist led my mom to the Lord that day. And, uh, and that's the history right there. I, I'm in the faith because of two ex-bartending women. How about that? My mom passed away last May. And uh, I'm here to tell you, she has a legacy that lives on through me and my sister. So you were just a kid then, right? I was, I was probably seven or younger. It's wow. a little fuzzy for me. I asked my mom. She was trying to remember, too. And, um, and so, but at 15, uh, you know, by the time I was, I went to church with her and, uh, when I was, when she was first saved and I was like, I hope I don't ever have to go to church again. It was just too slow for me. I was probably ADHD, uh, and all those other things that they didn't label you with back then. Um, but I, I was like, I got to get out of church. So I started sleeping over my friend's house on Saturday nights and that pretty much lasted me till I was 15. And, um, and then I was walking down the school. I was kicked out of the library. It's a long story. You can ask the people at Streeter High School. But, uh, but I, heard, I heard somebody yelling, praise the Lord. And I looked down the hallway, and there was these kids making fun of these other kids. And there were two Christians who were carrying their Bible with them at our public school. And um, lo and behold, they were standing up for Jesus Christ in our school. And it, when I saw that, you have to, I was not open to the gospel before this. But when I saw somebody my age boldly living and identifying in public with Christ, it was compelling to me because I knew it was real for my mom. Sorry. And uh, that night I went home and I received Christ as my Savior. And it was transformative. In your book, uh, The Disciple-Making Genius of Jesus, uh, you say that it all begins with T.W., it all begins with T.W. What's the T.W. about? All these things come from Jesus. I don't think anybody's been a better disciple maker than Jesus. So um, the goal is to align our lives with as much as possible with Jesus. And in John 3, 22, uh, there's a script. John writes about Jesus. Jesus went into a Judean countryside with his disciples, and he spent some time with there. And that word uh, spent some time with is in the Greek diatribo, and it means to rub off or rub through. So what was Jesus doing with his disciples? He was spending time with them. But the definition of spending time was he was rubbing off his heart for the world, God's mission, God's love for them. Uh, he was rubbing off the character and priorities of Jesus Christ and himself on those people. And we know we know that those disciples became to be known as Jesus's disciples by the way they lived. In Acts chapter 4, they said, we've seen this somewhere before. These people had been with Jesus. So the argument that I'm making and I'm contending is that you can't make disciples unless you spend time with people. And that's what Jesus does. He spends time with people. But it's not just in friendship and it's not just in mission. It's friends on a mission together. Hmm. That's good, Bill. I, I'm wondering, because um, you've been all over the world. I know that. I remember that. I remember a lot of what I learned in your in your conference. Is it a conference, a course, class? Training experience. Training experience. Okay. Time with. <laughs> Time yeah. with, yeah. Um, so I'm just wondering, I'm curious for you, of all, all the different people you've spoken with, and I assume most people that come are Christians. Yeah. 
What would you say is if you found is is like the biggest hang up or the biggest fear that people carry regarding disciple making or maybe the biggest myth? What's going wrong? Because we're not really doing it right, a lot of us. Right. Well, I'll maybe address one or two of those. What I often hear is I'm an introvert, so that lets me off the hook. And I start with Jesus again. Everything for me is Jesus because uh, you can't go wrong uh, if you're with Jesus. So we know Jesus had 12 disciples that he named in Luke 6 and in Mark chapter 3. They're named. We know probably a lot about six of them. I would contend that we probably don't know about the other ones because they were introverts. <laughs> but that's just a guess. But part of that whole thing is they didn't write about themselves, whereas the other people had people writing about them, right? So there's extroverts and introverts. So one of the things is people like, I could never get up and preach. Well, you don't have to preach. The best disciple, listen, I'm going to say something crazy now. The best disciple makers I know are introverts. Not because uh, they're able to get up and preach. And I know a lot of good introverts who preach well. Uh, but it's because they love people sincerely. And they're not necessarily effervescent or outgoing, but they really know how to... Introverts are so great at being good friends. And when mm -hmm. you're good friends with people, you automatically have the ability to rub Jesus off on them. That's what makes them... My wife would never want to preach or actually get in front of a group of people to do a training experience. But my wife lives this every day with my kids and me and our neighbors. And now we got a Bible study going on in the neighborhood. And now we're reaching out to other people who are in the neighborhood. So, uh, And then it goes even bigger than that. Wherever we travel, God uses her. So it's an amazing thing, but it's always in a much smaller context. That's one of the biggest um, misunderstandings people have. I'm an introvert. I can't make disciples. No, you're actually better at it than we are, the extroverts. Mm -hmm. You just yeah. simplified it. You made it so simple. It's like discipleship making for dummies. Yeah. <laughs> I totally qualify. <laughs> Bill, you talk about Kavanaugh and some of your uh, classwork or some of the things I've heard you talk about. What is Kavanaugh? Kavanaugh is an ancient Jewish uh, concept uh, that comes out of the Babylonian Talmud 400 years before Jesus. The rabbis were wrestling, how do we know if we're hitting the bullseye of our relationship with God? And they said, there's four things that need to be done in our friendship with each other as we follow God together. Number one, you're extravagantly loved by God so that you can love others extravagantly. So that's the gospel, right? Secondly, um, study scripture to know God, not study scripture to know theology or about God. There's a big difference between that knowing God and knowing about God. The, four, the third one would be uh, prayerfulness. The idea that, yes, there are times of prayer, but all in between those times of prayer, our heart should be talking to God all day long. Sort of like Brother Lawrence, the 17th century uh, monk who was really just a cook in a monastery. Um, but he, ha he had this amazing ability to peel potatoes for the glory of God, right? Mm -hmm. Every little thing he did, it was deeply spiritual. And I think we've really lost uh, in our culture that kind of uh, approach to life and certainly to vocation. We got to get back to a Christology of vocation where we do everything for the glory of God and it benefits our employer because our work matters. Uh, so that's huge. And then the last one, uh, is a Colossians 3-2-3 life, what I call 
um, all of life is worship. And uh, not just prayerfulness, but worship. The only thing we can't do as an act of worship to God is sin. But everything else, you can mow the grass to the glory of God. You can do what you can. You can discipline children to the glory of God if you're in control of yourself. Uh, you know. So there's there's basically everything becomes deeply spiritual when you understand that you're walking actually with Jesus through every part of your day, and that's what disciple making friends do. They they build their friendship of TW time with, and when they're with each other, they engage that concept of Kavanaugh, which means to hit the bullseye of our relationship with God. Our guest today on Want to Talk Missions is Bill Allison, the executive director of Cadre Missionaries. Bill will be our our guest at a seminar on uh, October 24th. We're going to take a quick break and be back in about 30 seconds with more from Bill Allison. The book One Baby for the World, 24 Days of Advent from a Missions Perspective, takes you on an unforgettable Advent journey seen through the eyes of missions. I'm Sherry Tverdick, author of One Baby for the World. I connect Luke's story of the Nativity and Isaiah's ancient prophecies of the coming Messiah to my experiences with life among the suffering poor of Mongolia's Gare District. Each day, beginning with December 1st and leading you through December 24th, offers a devotion-style reading and ends with an engaged section, inviting readers to be fully immersed. Be inspired, encouraged, and challenged through One Baby for the World this Christmas season. Order yours by November 15th to guarantee your copy by the December 1st Advent. You can find us at ccwm.org advent. Today on Want to Talk Missions, our guest is author, teacher, and disciple maker, and executive director of Cadre Missionaries. That's Bill Allison. I'm Dan Hennenfant, and my co-host is Sherry Tverdik. You know, can I interrupt you for a second? Uh, you always do, Sherry. I, Go I right know ahead. it's my it's my spiritual it's your gift. gift. It's your gift. <laughs> but Bill, so I have this little trick that I like to do. I like to when I meet believers, especially believers that are really out there um, disciple making. I try to imagine what disciple or apostle they would be. Okay, like who do they remind me of? Mm-hmm. And for Bill, Bill, you remind me of Barnabas because mm-hmm. remember Barnabas was like the encourager, right? And yes. um, the time that I spent with you um, during the training experience. You were so encouraging um, to the church, but I took it personal. You encouraged me. So Bill's our modern-day Barnabas. Is that okay if I call you that? (laughs) I've been called a lot worse in my life. So that's awesome. (laughs) Would you you tell us what I call the miracle at Goofy Ridge, the the amazing story of Goofy Ridge? Yeah. Okay. So uh, the best disciple-making pastor I know is a guy that nobody nobody will ever find. He's out in the middle of the cornfields in Delavan, Illinois. And uh, his name is Steve Wagner, and they call him Pastor Steve. But I, I give the moniker crazy to people that are really living a Jesus-like, disciple-making way of life. And when I met Steve, I, I renamed him Crazy Pastor Steve because uh, he started in the middle of the cornfields out there 15 years ago with a church plant. and uh, And he basically started, uh, he was challenged by his five-year-old son to reach out. It's a great story, uh, that to reach out to uh, the trailer parks and in, in that area. 
and he didn't want to do it. He was scared. And, uh, and his kids really kind of challenged him on that. And they were kind of leading him in this whole thing. And he got to know people out there. Well, that, that began this whole ministry. And, and this is what I love about it. If disciple making can only happen in rich suburban churches, which I'm not against, but if it can only happen in those contexts, it's not very, it's, it's, it's more American than it is Jesus. So you can tell something's really a lot like Jesus when it works in a bunch of other cultures. If it's, if it's simplified to come right out of Jesus, then it works wherever you go. And uh, that's the thing. That's why we're talking about them here today. We were the uttermost parts of the world, right? Um, America wasn't even on the map, right? When Jesus uttered the Acts 1-8, going to all, you know, all the different parts of the world and the uttermost parts of the world. So Steve, uh, Steve had a friend, a brother-in-law that came to visit him and they worked in these trailer parks. And then he asked Steve about this place called Goofy Ridge. Goofy Ridge, uh, by all accounts, uh, is the biggest meth town in this part of Illinois. And, uh, it has a history with the mafia. Al Capone, uh, supposedly had a place out there. And, uh, and, and really there's a lot of interesting things happening out there. I mean, it's really, it's really, uh, there's a lot of, there's a, it's a lot of craziness out there. And, um, and so he was talking to his brother and his brother-in-law and his brother-in-law says, we got to go out to Goofy Ridge. And Steve, crazy pastor Steve said, I don't think uh, we could really make a difference out there unless somebody would decide to live out there. And, uh, and so his brother-in-law started this thing called Abide. And, uh, and it's the, it's the group that works at Goofy Ridge now. And they've been out there five years. Abide is a biblical integration of evangelism, uh, a disciple, disciple making and evangelism. Abide. A biblical integration of disciple making and evangelism. And, uh, that's, that's crazy pastor Steve's, uh, thought. And he, he pulled all these 18 year old type kids and they took a gap year and they've been planning a church out there with a guy who had a heart for that place, who had some mafia connections, but became a Christian. Wow. They actually met out there for many years, and then eight different churches got together and built them a little building. doesn't look like a church, but that's where they have the church. And my daughter this year, my 18-year-old daughter, is a part of the Abide group. They've got a first group of four girls who are 18 out there. So they got the guys and the girls out there working out there. And so we're very much tied to uh, the disciple-making and the evangelism that's happening out at uh, Goofy Ridge. At almost every week, I get a picture. And all these guys, all these 18-year-old guys and these young ladies now are in our disciple-making learning community that we meet with all once at one day, a whole day together each month. And we study the very things that we learn from Jesus about disciple-making. Whatever we gave them, we taught them, they are passing it on to others. Now there's, now there's a homeless guy out there who came to Christ and he's actually working in the ministry. So now we're on three or four generations of disciple making coming from these kids. It's pretty doggone exciting. And what I love about it is it's one of the hardest places to be. And if it works there, it'll work anywhere. Mm. In a town like Goofy Ridge. Hey, Bill, I'm holding your book. It's called Disciple Maker's Guide to Grow, Minister, and Lead. And, and I'm noticing on the cover, you've got a railroad car with a lemon the size of my house. An ear of corn that that takes a whole flatbed to what's what's with the cover the the lemon and the ear of corn. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, "You will glorify me by making much fruit." 
And uh, he even said you would do greater things than I. And I think greater in the scope of of uh, disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And uh, that's the beauty of having a whole lifetime to give to it. You know, Jesus really gave it three and a half years with his disciples, and they're still making disciples. We're, we're, our whole legacy comes from them. How much more can we if we give our whole life to it from the moment we become Christians, you know? So the idea is that there is this uh, gener- three generations, at least three generations of disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You know, our country is in this mess today, and I believe this. You know, paganism, doesn't it feel like paganism is displacing Christianity these days? Well, in the first 300 years of the church, Christianity displaced paganism, literally. And so what was that about? Well, this is that movement of disciple-making that took over relationship to relationship, person to person, family to family, and uh, it spread so fast. And when you start getting, you know, when, when everybody receives and passes on what they've learned, like it says in 2 Timothy, find those people that, who will receive it and pass it on, uh, that's when this thing that gets crazy. But I'm afraid that in, in most of our Christian culture in America, we basically collect followers and then we teach them. And uh, Jesus never only collects followers. He collects followers to do what? To equip them to become fishers. We haven't made disciples until those we disciple make more disciples. Wow. On page five of that book, you, you, you make this statement, I'm not blowing hot air when I say you as a volunteer in the church can literally change the world. Is that really true? Can you give us an example or story about how one person could change the world? So I became a Christian at 15, and I never wanted to go to church before that. But as soon as I became a Christian, I said to my mom, I want to go to church again. I want to go with you. So we went to church, and uh, I, I was paying attention this time, right? I mean, I, was, I, was, I got something out of the message. I was glad to be with my mom. I was glad to be with the Christians, right? And I heard about this thing called youth group. And so they said, uh, youth group's on Sunday night. And I said to my mom, that sounds like something I ought to be at, right? I mean, is this where, this is where the young people get together and they're, they, hopefully they're, I'm going to learn how to follow Jesus with other people my age. And I'll know if there's anybody else who's a Christian going to my school, you know, whatever. So I, six o'clock at night, my mom dropped me off. We went down to the church basement. I walked in. It was nothing but a bunch of kids who were born and raised in the church. I wasn't born and raised in the church. I'm from the projects. And uh, they all looked at me and nothing. They didn't even say hi. And I almost walked right out of that church at that moment. I was just, it, it was a little freaky for me. And I didn't feel very welcome. But this guy came walking over to me and uh, he was uh, an ex-hippie, and he said to me, hey, man, uh, what's your name? And I go, I'm Bill. And he goes, I'm Bob. And then he said to me, what do you like to do? So he engaged me in conversation, right, which is what I needed. I needed somebody to talk to. And uh, I said, you know, Bob, I'm a, I'm a jock. I'm a, you know, I love baseball, basketball, and football. And uh, he said, do you ever play tennis? And I'm like, well, we don't have a tennis court at the housing project. <laughs> I said, it sounds interesting. And he goes, would you like to play me? And I looked at Bob. He was 27. Uh, he looked like a little bit like the Pillsbury Doughboy to me. And uh, I thought, I could beat this guy in any sport And because uh, you're 15 and you think you're invincible. And he sa- I said, I think I'd like to play you, Bob, even though I don't know how to play and I don't have a racket or anything. And he said, uh, don't worry, I have all that stuff and I'll pick you up Tuesday at 3.30. That is the first time I ever remember being pursued for friendship by another man who was a little bit older than me. And I actually thought in my head, 
I wonder if he's really going to show up. Because, you know, some people say a lot of stuff, but they don't show up. Yeah, there he was, Tuesday at 3.30. And uh, I got in the car and Bob didn't, you know, Bob was so laid back. He never did anything to me or for me. You know, like, I'm going to, I'm, you're my project. I'm going to disciple you. He never said any of that. He just sat back and while we drove, he goes, hey, how was your day? And what's going on in your life? And, oh, I, did I tell you that the guy at work led me to the Lord and he's telling him all this stuff. And every day we have a Bible study and here's something that really, you know, spoke to me. And and uh, he was just kind of engaging me in spiritual conversation, you know, let me in into his story. Well, we got to the tennis court and he, he basically ran me to death. I never won a game. And, uh, and then he said, hey, let's go over to the tavern across the street next to the tennis courts. I'll buy you a soda and we'll come back over here and sit under the shade tree and talk. Or as he would say from the 60s, rap. We'll rap. And uh, we'll have a rap session. And, uh, I was, you know, Bob, you picked me up. You, you played tennis with me. You bought me an orange soda. I'm in for the rap session. And um, so we sit down underneath the tree. I'm drinking soda. And he pulls out the technology of his day, his <laughs> his Gideon's Pocket New Testament. <laughs> and then he starts sharing to me. He, he says, hey, can I share a passage of scripture that really spoke to my heart? And I'm like, yes, you can. Because my heart was ready for all this, right? And uh, he would just share it, but it was so natural, you know? And then he encouraged me to read the Bible. By the time I was done, Bob had prayed for me. I wanted to pray more. I wanted to read my Bible more. And I wanted more time with Bob. Bob was a volunteer in the church. I don't think he ever graduated from high school. He dropped out of high school. Um, and you know what? When God got a hold of him, God gave him everything he needs for life and ministry. You get the Holy Spirit. You get the Bible. You get disciple-making friends from the church. And Bob is still my friend to this day. He lives in Streeter. I make trips back there just to be with him because I love him so much. And uh, I am the product of a bartender and a, and a, a volunteer youth leader who is now making disciples, who makes more disciples through my life for the glory of God. Wow. I could listen to Bill's stories all day. Here's an option. You know, on uh, October 24th, Bill's going to be teaching a seminar here at Pine Ridge Christian Center. That's about 70 miles south and west of Chicago, a little town of Norway, Illinois. And for those who'd like to come and be part of that day, October 24th, uh, Sherry, how can they make that happen? Well, I hope they make it happen because you will be so filled up when you leave this uh, training experience, just like you and I were. So, um, yes, go to ccwm.org, ccwm.org, and click on Events. Find the Rise and Make Disciples, and, and we'll probably soon have a picture of you up there too, Bill. And, well, um, you want people to come, so you might not want to. <laughs> and we'll have you sign, you know, sign up in advance. We need you to register in advance so that we um, know how many people can come. And register soon, because we are going to fill it. Well, Bill, thanks so much for your time today and, and for the little uh, taste of what October 24th will be about. And uh, God bless you as you continue to make disciples. Hey, we'll have fun, and I look forward to it. You've been listening to Want to Talk Missions, a production of Cup of Cold Water Ministries. Our guest has been author and disciple maker Bill Allison of Cadre Missionaries, and the website there is cadremissionaries.com. Please leave a review, and we'd love it if you join us on our Facebook page. And our website is ccwm.org. Want to talk missions? Come talk with us. Cup of Cold Water Ministries is helping people to go where God is calling them to serve.